All right, let's uh, dive into God's Word together. You can open your Bible or your Bible app uh, to James chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in verse 13 through James chapter 5 verse 6. And so covering that section of Scripture today. And we're going to talk about uh, the danger of affluence today. You know, I, I mentioned last week uh, on the birthday of our nation, um, Independence Day weekend there, uh, just the, man, just the, how great we have it to live in the country that we live in. And, you know, it mentioned today just the opportunity we have to live in the time that we live in. Think about that. Not only the nation that we live in, but but the time that we live in. Think about uh, the technology, for instance, that's in the world today. So in, in, in other courses in history, a pandemic hits, um, you wouldn't be able to engage in Bible teaching, and I wouldn't be able to engage in teaching the Bible like we're able to do in the same fashion that we're able to do it today. Um, during the Spanish flu of the early 1900s, for instance, they didn't have this sort of technology. But many of you right now are watching this on a television screen, or you're watching it on a tiny TV that is in your hand that you also make phone calls on. I remember as a kid, the most crazy thing to me was to see these futuristic depictions of video calls. And a lot of times it was with holograms and things of that nature. But it's just funny to me because that seemed like so crazy and futuristic. And now we, we make video calls every single day. Uh, we live an incredible time to be alive. And the technology we have, the opportunity that we have, opportunity to earn income. If you want to start a business, you can go start a business, right, to, to build a platform, right? We've got people that, are, uh, that literally have social media platforms and things like that, and they're earning in income and have gotten wealthy um, from just being on Instagram or being on Facebook or, or whatever, YouTube. Uh, it's a unique time to be alive. There's a lot of abundance out there and a lot of opportunity out there, but we need to understand something. Uh, there are dangers that come with affluence and wealth, Dangers that come with abundance. There's nothing wrong, for instance, with having money, uh, but we do need to understand there are dangers that we face when money's involved, and we need to understand something else. Um, most of us are wealthy in someone's eyes, right? So when we think of wealth, we tend to think of the top 1% or something like that. We think of billionaires or multimillionaires and things of that nature. Um, but there are some people in the world, when they think of rich, they think of you. They think of you and I, because there are some, compared to the rest of the world, many of us are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. So there's like this scalable thing, right? So we need to understand that. So when you read the Bible and you read warnings to the rich or, or something like that, you, you've got somebody in mind, but you need to know that there's somebody that probably has you in mind. So we all need to take these things to heart uh, because we do live in such an affluent time. And throughout the New Testament, those who had a lot, those who had much, are warned of the pitfalls involved with the love of money. Uh, we are told to be content with what we have, for instance, in Philippians. We're told to be generous. We're told to, by Jesus to lay up treasures in heaven and so forth. And one of the great idols and one of the great fuels of our idols um, is money. It always has been. It's a, it's a common idol, and it's something people use to fuel other idols that they have, like comfort and security and things of that nature. And um, in James chapter 4, verse 13, through James chapter 5, verse 6, James very particularly addresses affluent people. He confronts their sin. It's very relevant in our day because, like I said, compared to the rest of the world, we've got a lot of affluence here in America and in our culture, um, and we are, by and large, um, wealthy to different degrees. And we have a lot of opportunity based on that, but we also have a lot of temptation, a lot of temptation that comes with that. So today I want to share two dangers of affluence from James's teaching here. So we're going to kind of read this in sections. First, we're going to read chapter 4, verse 13, 
through verse 17. So read along with me now. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, for that person, it is sin, James says. So James here... He's most likely addressing merchants and businessmen in his day. And many scholars believe that in particular it was Christian businessmen he's addressing. Those that should know better, right? If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it, it's sin. And the situation here is that these affluent business people and likely Christian business people are conducting business in such a way that they're not looking to and depending on God. Uh, They had sort of edited God out of the business portion of their life, right? They've got a kind of a different code for when they're at work, so to speak, and how they're approaching life that way versus maybe at church or in the home. And so what we see here is this is a, James calls it a form of arrogance. It's boasting in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And really this presumption that they're living life with is rooted in arrogance. So I want you, number one, to beware a life of arrogance. We need to beware a life of arrogance. The peak of arrogance is living as if God doesn't exist, right? Or is simply not needed in our daily lives. It is sad when someone who knows or who claims to know God lives like he's not there. It's like a functional atheism uh, when we edit God out of a part of our life. You believe in God, but that belief is not shaping that part of your life at that particular point in time. God is segmented off from certain things. And maybe you pray about stuff. Maybe you pray about most things. And maybe you don't pray about this thing. Or, uh, you know, and ultimately what, we, what we're seeing here is, is segmenting God off in this way uh, and living with this kind of prideful arrogance that we're in control of everything um, is not a Christian way to behave. It's arrogance. It's, it's pride. And, it, and, it's, and it's completely uh, against the way of Christ and the way we're called to live in submission to his will. But it's a real danger that we face and a temptation, in particular as we see here, uh, to these people who, were, who, who had means and who had freedom, uh, who had some economic freedom. And so we need to be aware of that. Well-known Bible teacher Chuck Swindoll points out that James mentions five areas that they were making their own decisions with no regard to God. Right? Five areas with their, making their own decisions, no regard to God, acting like he doesn't even exist. Uh, they were setting their own schedule, right? They say, well, today or tomorrow we'll do this or that, setting their own schedule. They were selecting their own path. We will go to this place. We will go to that place. They were placing their own limits, right? We'll spend a year there. Um, they're arranging their own activities. They're going to choose to engage in business, they say, and then predicting their own outcome. We will make a profit. Wow, what? What arrogance even to speak in that way? We'll, we'll just, we know we'll go there. We'll do what we want to do. We'll make a profit while we're there. We're certainly not going to lose money. They're just kind of, things have been so good. They're just kind of presuming on a lot of things. And they're not looking to God. They're not praying to God. They're just kind of acting like he doesn't exist and forgetting about his sovereignty and his providence. And so the issue here is not that they have money. The issue here is not that they're making money. 
listen very closely. Having money, making money, earning a profit, that's not the issue. This is not James doing an anti-capitalism rant. That's not what this is. You're not going to find that here. That's not what's going on. The issue is that they are doing these things as though God doesn't exist. They're not taking his providence into account. They're not considering his sovereignty over all things, including their affairs. They are likely sort of living even prayerless in this area. They're boasting about all the things that they're going to do, and it's sinful. Rather than go low before God, they're they're poking their chest out before man. Uh, They know the right thing to do. Seek God, trust God, pray to God, look to God in all things. But they're not doing that. They're not do that because they know the right thing to do is, is sin. There's nothing wrong with, as we said, making money, making plans, going places, doing business, or seeking a profit. That's not the point. However, there is something wrong with living life and making plans, by the way, and doing business and making decisions as if God is not a factor and as if tomorrow is guaranteed. Like God's not in control of tomorrow, like we're just going to assume upon it. It's the height of arrogance. When we live this way, here's what's really happening. We're living like we're God, right? We're living like we're God, like we're in control of tomorrow, like we can guarantee tomorrow, like we've got power over that, like we determine when we live and when we die and all these sort of things and whether we make a profit or not, that everything is is in our hand as opposed to a sovereign God. And these particular people had jobs that allowed them lots of freedom. They could plan. They could travel. They could go out and make money, make a profit. They were affluent, and that lends itself to some levels of power, and freedom, and this can tempt us into arrogance or thinking we don't need God. And it's very easy in our culture today with all that we have and with many of us having economic freedom to some level to sort of leave God out and to begin to operate on our own, right? We, we don't pray for our daily bread, so to speak, because the daily bread's just always there. So we begin to assume upon and presume upon the daily bread. And, and that's kind of what's happening here. Well, we're just going to go make a profit. They're just kind of assuming and presuming upon some things instead of living a life surrendered before the Lord. So how do we guard against this sort of arrogant living? We, we need to remember a couple of things uh, that he reminds us of in this text. First, we need to remember that life is short and unpredictable. He says in verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. See, we do not know what tomorrow holds. We're, we're ignorant of that. Our knowledge is limited and life is completely unpredictable in a fallen world where bad things happen. Uh, just this year, <laughs> I can just say this word, uh, pandemic, right? <laughs> and I hate to use that uh, multiple times as an illustration over the weeks and the months, but we keep coming back to that, the, the reality of what we live in. I mean, I, I got to thinking about just as a church, for instance, um, back um, earlier in the year, before all this started, we, we went and ordered, uh, we, were, we began to do some renovations around here, right? And so one of the things we did is, um, as we uh, got the, the, the building um, uh, freshly painted, we, we went and we, uh, we bought lots of new chairs for our worship space, and then the pandemic hit, and those chairs sat stacked and empty and unstacked for three months right? Uh, a paint job that people enjoyed for, I think, a week or two, right? And, and it was like, and everything was, we, we planned for Easter. We bought yard signs, right? Uh, that hopefully we can use next year, but this year they were worthless, right? They were, they were worthless this year. Many of you had vacations, got canned, right? Plans just completely gone. Uh, some people, a lot of people, have lost jobs. I mean, it, it, it's been, it, this, the whole world got rocked, right? Why? Because life is unpredictable, in a fallen world with sickness, with disease, with death, with, with trouble and trials and all the things that come with it, we do not control tomorrow. We do not know what tomorrow brings. And listen, life is short. 
James says it's a mist. Some translations say a vapor. Um, it appears for a little while and then it's gone. It, it, he's speaking here to the brevity of life, the fact that it is short. And by the way, it is fragile and oh so precious. Recently, while visiting my parents back in Alabama, I came across what was probably a 90-year-old picture of my granddad when he was a child. A couple of pictures, actually, and, and uh, in black and white, right? These pictures just look so, so old, right? And, I mean, it's like a 90-year-old photo, and, and uh, in one of the pictures, you can see he's even older than that. He's probably even smaller, and, man, there's like this old-timey car in the picture and stuff like that, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, you look at that, and you're like, wow, this just looks like so long ago, but then I remember this is the man that uh, I played baseball with in his backyard and played basketball with, um, and things of that nature, and all of a sudden it doesn't seem that, that long ago, right? And I'm learning at age 40 now that, uh, man, things that seem like a long, used to seem like a long time, they don't seem so long anymore. Just last week, as we mentioned, we're 244th birthday of the nation. We're almost at 250 years old of our nation. So when you think of things like the Founding Fathers and you, you pick up a $5 bill and there's Abraham Lincoln on it, you know, uh, from the mid-1800s and things of that nature, all that seems so long ago. But listen, you go back to the founding of our nation, 200, almost 250 years, it's like three lifetimes. And as someone who's 40 now, that doesn't seem like a lot, right? doesn't seem like a lot. And my point is this, the older we get, the more we begin to realize how life is a vapor. I understand that more at 40 than I did at 16 or 25. And some of you who are watching this and you're older than me, you understand it even more than I do, right? Uh, life is a vapor and that should humble us and make us realize our dependency upon God when we approach life like we're going to live forever that's an issue when we approach life like tomorrow is guaranteed that's a problem it breeds arrogance it shows arrogance and we're not guaranteed our next breath and that should still in a humility in us and a dependence upon God for every moment no matter what we're doing and Christians should know this the second thing that helps us to guard against this is remembering that God is in control that helps us guard against arrogance. In verse 15, he says, instead, you ought to say this, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. See, it's God who's in control, not us, not me, not you. It's God who is sovereign, his plans that triumph. Um, the attitude of the Christian should always be one of humility before God and a posture of submission to his will and his purposes. And James isn't promoting some superstitious saying that every time you say something like, you know, yeah, we're leaving on vacation tomorrow. If the Lord wills, you know, that's not what he's, that's not the point, right? It kind of completely misses the point here. The, the idea is he's saying all of our plans should be postured in submission before our God. And that's basic Christianity. Basic Christianity 101 that we so easily drift away from. We're not in control despite how much power we may think we have or freedom or money one may have. It's an incredibly freeing thing, by the way, to realize that ultimately it is God and not you who's ultimately in control. It's ultimately him that is sovereign and not us. And so, yes, we need to plan and we need to work and we need to earn and we need to do all those things, but with the understanding God is in control and all good things come from him. And we're not going to do anything, go anywhere, or earn anything apart from his good hand and his good favor. And the moment we forget that, we're living life like he's segmented off from our life and we're living arrogantly. And God has a way of humbling us when we get arrogant. So we need to beware the danger of a life of arrogance. And secondly, we need to beware a life of greed. Look with me at chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through verse 6. James writes, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Intense, right? You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So James continues that theme, that come now, come now, he says. But here he actually calls the rich by name. And and many scholars believe the first group he addressed are believers and that the second group is unbelievers, maybe even those outside the church who are persecuting the believers, um, and that he's calling them out in a way to to begin to, is he's going to lead into an encouragement to the church. Some believe it's it's, um, unbelievers who have made their way into the church, who profess to know Christ, but had a faith without works that was dead. That's very possible. Uh, Some believe he's, he's, he's writing to believers here who have just gotten so far away from God that, man, that they're, they're completely misusing their, their wealth. Um, and I think it, it's highly likely that this is a group of people that were in the church, but that who had a false faith, because James seems to be really warning them about judgment that's coming, and that they're going to be judged by God. Um, but either way, there's, there's warnings here for us, okay? As we see this life of greed these people are living, we need to beware a life of greed. These people, they're not being rebuked for being rich, They're being rebuked for how they got their riches and how they used their riches. They are being rebuked for greed. Their their obvious sinful love of money at all costs. It it was on display uh, in, in the way they lived their lives. The problem, as it has been said before, wasn't that they had money, but money had them. Money had them. And we need to be reminded that the Bible warns us against the dangers and temptations that does come many times with wealth. Listen, people can be greedy no matter how much money they have. Don't misunderstand me. But in the Bible in particular, when it addresses greed, when it warns against greed, many times it does so with those who have, right? With those who have. It, it's, it's, the, it's the parable of the, um, of, of, of the rich fool, not the parable of the poor fool, right? It, it's, the, it's the rich fool who, who, who is eat up with greed. And we're going to read here in a little bit uh, a warning uh, to, to wealthy Christians in First Timothy to, to be generous because, because there are some temptations that are even, while all of us can struggle with anything and while anybody, no matter income level, can struggle with greed, we do need to understand that, uh, that some temptations may be even more so for, for some people. And, 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 and if we're not careful, the more we get, if we don't guard our heart, our hearts can be tempted towards the love of money and to cry more and more and more. And these people were just eat up with greed. Uh, these were rich landowners um, who were filled with this greed, and they had become abusive, as you see in the text, and unjust and cruel towards people. James calls them out here in an Old Testament prophet kind of form with the words he's using when he says, weep and howl for the misery that's coming upon you, warning them that judgment is coming. Um, and, and you need to lament. You need to be sad, not happy, like you talked about last week in chapter 4. Um, and you need to repent, in other words, right? Because judgment is coming upon you. You should be weeping over that and howling over that. And this is all a reminder uh, that money is a window to the heart, right? You know, windows aren't good or bad. They're neutral, right? There's nothing good. Uh, you know, we've got windows right here in, 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 in the room, and, and they're not good or bad. They are just there. They let light in, and, um, but they also let eyeballs in, 
right? And so if something goes on inside of a building or inside of a house or inside of a car or whatever that's a crime or that is cruel or, or whatever, it's not the window that's causing that. The window is just letting people see what's going in, whether good or whether bad, whatever's going on. Windows are just, just that, and money's like that. Money's neutral. Money's not the problem. The problem is that it is a window into our heart. And many times our hearts are eat up with greed and with pride and with all selfishness and all sorts of things, and money begins to reveal that. <laughs> and then we'll use money to, to feed that. And it's the, the love of money, as the Apostle Paul says, that is a, the root to all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but the, the love of it, the greed of it. So it's a, it's a window and, uh, into our heart. And greed is a particular sin that I believe distorts, kind of distort us. Uh, it can lead, it's, like a, it's like a gateway sin, right, that can lead to all sorts of other sins. Some sins just have a way of leading to other sins, and greed and covetousness are one of those sins that just tends to open up the door for us to commit other sins, right, as you see in this text right here. Notice how their greed had begun to distort them. Uh, we see that they were hoarders. First of all, here, look at verses 2 and 3. He says, their riches are rotted and garments are moth-eaten. Their gold and silver have corroded. And all this will be evidence against them and, and eat their flesh like fire, right? Talking about judgment coming upon them. Strong words. And he's contrasting here, it seems, with the commands of Jesus because they have done the opposite of what his older brother, right? His older half-brother Jesus had commanded. Listen to Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. These are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. See, that's what they had done when he says you've laid up treasure. He's, he means on earth instead of heaven. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So James here is, is pointing out these people are, are living opposite with their wealth than Jesus had called upon people to live. Rather than lay up treasure in heaven, they're laying up uh, treasure where, on earth where, where, where moths can eat it, where, where, the, where the gold gets corrupted, all these sorts of things. And there's a difference, right, in saving and in hoarding. And what's happening here is these people are, are hoarding. Hoarding is selfish and useless and greedy. It doesn't help others. It doesn't support the mission of the church. It just packs away for self. And God calls us to generosity. He, in Proverbs, he also teaches us to save, too. There's, wis, there's wisdom to do that. But he calls us to share, to support um, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom works. And he calls us to be good stewards. He calls us to lay up treasure in heaven. That abs and that absolutely um, should affect how we spend and, and how we save and what we do. Because we, we understand something very simple as Christians. We are stewards and God is the owner. And as believers in Christ, God owns it all, and we are stewarding his resources. And he wants us to, 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 to save some of it. He wants us to give some of it. He wants us to spend some of it because there are things that we need. He, wants us to, he does want us to, to enjoy life, but he, but he doesn't want us to hoard. He doesn't want us to be selfish. He doesn't want us to, to be greedy. Uh, he doesn't want us uh, to be, as what we'll see next, cruel and unjust. <laughs> That's where the next thing they went to. Not only did greed turn them into hoarders, it turned them into cruel and unjust people. Verse 4 shows us these, were, uh, these people had gained their money through fraud. They let people mow their fields but wouldn't pay them. They had taken from their own land harvesters and their own field mowers, and they had cruelly and unjustly taken from these people what they owed them and, and had committed fraud in some way to prevent from having to, to pay them. And see, money and power usually go hand in hand. The, uh, the more money you have, the more power you usually end up gaining. And usually, if you have enough power, it, money tends to follow that as well. They, they tend to be connected. And the, what you need to understand is, is greed 
when it slips into the picture, it will feed cruelty and it will feed injustice because it will cause you to not just to abuse money, but to abuse power because power can bring you more money. And these people had abused their power and they were stealing, basically, right? They're stealing from these people. They're unjust. They're, they're cruel. They don't care what's happening to these people, as we'll see in just a moment. And they're unjust. And James is rebuking both how they use their wealth, but also how they got their wealth because they got it corruptly, corruptly. Verse 6, he says, they have condemned and murdered the righteous person and he does not resist you. Uh, Douglas Moo points out here that in this text, James is most likely showing the practical outworking of them stealing from those less fortunate than them. (laughs) Ultimately, the practical outworking is that they starve to death (laughs) because you're taking what's theirs. And so these people, they're they're hoarding. They've become, they're cruel, they're unjust, they're they're thieves. But then also we see they were self-indulgent. In verse 5, he points out that they've lived in luxury and in self-indulgence. They have chosen to use all their money to live a self-centered, posh life. They have stolen, hoarded, lived fat and happy. They're not generous, not kind. They use both their money and their power only for themselves and only to benefit themselves, right? And the Bible calls us to be generous. The Bible calls us to help our families. The Bible calls us to, um, to, to, to help extend the gospel and things of that nature. The Bible calls us to help those in need. These people, self-indulgence, luxury, only feeding their own desires. And, and greed always will turn us inward. Uh, greed doesn't look out. Greed looks inward, and it's a self-centered sin, much like arrogance that we just spoke about. Greed says, I am what is most important. How can I give myself more? And then lastly, they were foolish. They were foolish. Verse 3 says they have laid up treasures in the last days. Biblically speaking, you and I are in the last days today, and they were in the last days then. The Messiah, Jesus, had come, right, for the first time. And we are waiting upon his return. And these are the last days. And James is saying in light of the fact that Jesus has come, has died for your sins, been raised from the dead, and we know he's going to come again, and the earth, the world is going to be judged. In light of all that, in light of that we are living in in that epoch in human history, how foolish, how foolish to lay up treasures in earth instead of in heaven in the last days. You have chosen poorly, he's saying. In verse 5, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Like a cow that gets fattened up and doesn't know that it's about to be dinner time. Right, and the cow's going to be dinner. He's saying that you don't understand. You're living fat and happy, not knowing you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged. Judgment is coming. Foolishness. Uh, they've spent and they've lived like fools. And you know, Jesus rebukes this sentiment in, in Luke 12. Uh, he warns about covetousness, and we get the parable of, of, as I mentioned earlier, the rich fool. And in the story, the the rich man's land produces plentifully. Things are going great for the rich man in Luke 12. Um, He has so much that he's running out of storage for his crops. So he says, what can I do? And what he says is, well, I'll just tear down my barns and build bigger barns so I can store much more stuff. And then he tells himself after he gets everything stored away, he says, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, what? He's got comfort. He's got security. He's got pleasure. He's got what he wants. All is well. What more could he want? And then Jesus says in Luke 12, 20, but God said to him, he said to this man, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, when God says you're a fool, you're a fool, 
right? And so God called this man a fool. He was a fool. This man who lived self-indulgently, selfishly, eat up with greed, he was a fool because he wasn't, st- he, he wasn't stewarding in a way that honors God. He, he wasn't rich towards God. If he had been rich towards God, if he had had a relationship with God, if he had prized God in his heart above all things and not money, then he might have said, look, I've got so much, I'm running out of room to store it. You know what? There's some people that don't have food to eat. Maybe I can help them out. I wonder, you know, he would have thought in some more of a, of a generous way, but no, no, no. How can I save more? How can I hoard more? How can I store more? Because that's what greed does. It turns us inward and it makes us into fools. And it seems in James's passage here that he's warning people of the judgment to come. And I believe it seems he's addressing most likely in this particular text unbelievers who maybe claim to be believers but whose greed and cruelty and, and, and injustice and lies were all showing that they've, they've never been converted. They have a faith without works. But, it, it, you know, it's hard to be certain here. You know, like I said, Bible scholars disagree on this. And, um, and obviously as believers we commit all sorts of sins. However, every believer, no matter who he's really addressing here, should look at James's rebuke here and inventory our own hearts and heed the warnings of what can happen when we get given to greed. And we need to ask questions like, am I a good steward or am I a financial hoarder? Am I being unjust and cruel in any way to gain money or in using my power? Am I being self-indulgent? Am I being foolish in light of eternity and the return of Christ? These are good questions and hard questions and things we need to weigh through and wrestle with and pray through in our day. We need to remember Paul's instructions in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Paul says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, talking about eternity, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what does Paul promote? Humility. Right there at the beginning, not arrogance. Don't be haughty. Humility, not arrogance. Generosity we see in the text, not greed. See, a God-centered life is what he promotes here. Uh, God-centered hope, not man-centered, not money-centered. Here's the thing. Only Jesus, only Jesus has lived with his time and his plans, as we saw in the first scripture we looked at, perfectly submitted to the Father's will at all times. Only Jesus has perfectly lived without arrogance, And at the same time, without greed, the Bible, in fact, tells us that he became poor so that we might become rich. Only Jesus can deliver you and can deliver me from arrogant presumption with our lives and from the snares of greed. So I always have to bring it to this point and say, do do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you know the one who loves you and has given his life for you, who came and lived a sinless life and died in your place on the cross and was raised from the dead so that you can be saved do you know him, the one who became poor so that you might become rich? The Bible says if you'll turn from your sin and embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You can be saved. You can be converted. You can have your heart changed. Uh, if you'll humbly realize you need God and come to him and seek his forgiveness. And if you do that, or if you've got questions about that, let us know at info at gonorthpark.com. If we can pray for you or celebrate with you, the Bible says whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call on him today, he'll save you. If you'll look to him in saving faith, turning from your sin, he will save you. We'd love to talk with you or celebrate with you. Info at gonorthpark.com. Believers, if greed is starting to transform you into something you don't like, because it will do that, 
If you look at your life and realize you've become more cruel or you've become kind of a hoarder, you've become more self-indulgent, you've turned more inward, which always turns you away from others, come to Jesus. Repent. Uh, talk to, come, come to Christ. Talk to him about it. Pray. Uh, don't be shaped by the spirit of this age. Rather, be shaped by the spirit of God. And the spirit of this age wants to shape you and see you conform to this world and conform to greed, conform to arrogance. But the spirit of God wants to transform you and make you more like Jesus. And so let's, let's get honest before God. Ask him to search our hearts. Come before him in repentance and seek his help as we look to Christ uh, to deliver us from these temptations and these sins. Listen, ask yourself, is, are my time and my plans submitted to God and his will? Right? Does my prayer life bear that out? Does my plans bear that out? With money, am I being a good steward or am I acting like I own everything? Am I a hoarder or a giver? Am I self-indulgent or kingdom-minded? Think through these things and, and let's ask God to help us to avoid the dangers of affluence and to use all God gives us, whether little or whether much, all he gives us in a way that glorifies him. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful today for your generosity towards us. And, um, no matter what we have, whether little or whether much, we're thankful for each thing that comes from you. All good gifts come from you. And we thank you for your provision in our lives. And, and in this nation that we live in, the culture we live in, many of us can say, wow, compared to lots of parts of the world, we, in other times in history even, we, we have much and we're grateful for it. And we want to be good stewards. And God, we want to live um, with hum, humbly, humbleness and humility before you, um, realizing that we don't determine tomorrow and that you're sovereign over all things. So help us to do that and to not presume upon things. And at the same time, help us to live generously and not to be eat up by greed, to not love money, but to love Jesus and to use the resources you give us in a way uh, to glorify you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.